0: As we are about to read God's word, I would ask you to stand on your feet, if you are able to, as we read the word of God together. Haggai chapter 2, from verses 1. Hear the word of the Lord. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai. The Prophets speak to Zerubbabel the son of Shatiel governor of Judah and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest and to all the remnants of the people and say who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory how do you see it now is it not as nothing in your eyes yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, O you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts,
1: Yet once more in a little
0: while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the God is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace bow our heads this morning before we come to this word and ask the Lord to be with us even as we open his word together let's pray our father we humble ourselves before you for you are a great God there is none beside you and without you and apart from you nothing would have existed we are men and women who are here this morning as the recipients of your grace we stand amazed at your patience towards us we stand at your work in us that you are god who command us and yet you also cause us both to do and to will according to your good pleasure we thank you this morning once again for the wonderful grace we have received from you through jesus we thank you for the gift of eternal life we have in him. We thank you for you have called us to yourself. We are now your sons and your daughters. We are a kingdom of priests unto our God. Thank you so much for your word. It is living. It is active. You have said that it shall not return to you for it. It accomplishes that which you send it for. Your word is able to bring encouragement upon those who are discouraged. Your word is able to bring light where there is darkness. Your word is able to bring life where there is death. So we ask this morning that you do that which you please by and through the power of your word. We humble ourselves before you, we say, with Mary, be it unto me according to your word. And with somehow, we humbly say this morning, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. May you then arrest every thought and cause us that we will receive your word, not as a word from man, but will receive it like the Thessalonians, as it is, as the word of God, which is able to make us wise unto and to salvation. Glorify yourself in our midst. Sanctify your church for your glory, we pray. May God's people say amen. May I have Agai chapter 2, this morning we are looking upon this passage and have entitled our sermon, Be Courageous. Last week we saw what the Lord required of his people Israel as they returned from captivity in Babylon. God sent his prophet Agai to speak to his people. When you read the book of Ezra together with this book of Haggai, you find out that these men and women, when they returned from exile, they began to build the temple. They laid the foundations. But as they were rejoicing, looking upon these foundations, as their project was continuing, they faced opposition. As a result, because of that opposition, the work stopped. They stopped for over almost 16 years and they were discouraged in many ways that they could not even see this project going ahead because it seemed as if everything is against them. They are thinking about the captivity they have been slaves as moved in Babylon and God with his mighty hand with his outstretched arm rescued them and prophet Haggai then comes and is very clear as to when then he's writing even in chapter 2 he comes to them because they started and you see in chapters 1 read with me you hear this at at the end of Haggai's first message that this is what happened after they heard the message of Haggai. The Bible tells us, when Haggai taught them to consider their ways, they did this, the Bible says, this is what God did in their lives. The Bible says, and the Lord stirred up their hearts and the spirits of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, And you also see there, and the Lord stirred up the heart of Joshua. And he stayed up in chapter 1 verses 15 as you come down there he stayed up the hearts of the people and they all came together and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God so they resumed they continued from the project but it seemed as if later on it also happened that whilst they were now celebrating the feast of the tabernacle, as you find in chapter 1, verses 1, as they were now commemorating these good acts of God, they stopped working on the temple and focused more on their activities. Now, before we would come to this passage and we expound on it, I want you to know this that as Christians. Even as people of God, people of God are not invincible when it comes to discouragement. Or as you see there, child child of God, you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have worked so hard in the Lord and in his vineyard. It is likely, and I want you to know this, you and I are not immune from discouragements discouragements will come as long as we are on this side of eternity discouragement will come and that is what you find these people as they are laboring as they are working for God it does not mean just because they are working for God they will not be discouraged Yes, the Lord is stirring up their hearts. Luke in chapter 1, the Bible is telling us that. Verses 14. God stirs their hearts. They are so zealous to do the work of God. But sooner or later, discouragement kicks in. And this morning, what I want us to examine is what is it that the Lord does to these people in order for them to regain their courage? God then comes to them, and he, he's actually coming with a word of encouragement. Remember, last week it was called cutting into pieces, telling them to consider their ways, telling them to say, no matter how much you are going to labor, there is not going to be fruitfulness. If you go to your fields, he tells them, your fields, I will, I will make sure that your fields will not produce if you bring in your coins it will be as if you're putting in a pocket that has holes he tells them that and he assures them and he tells them to say I want you to consider your ways get your priorities set then and then I will work among you and you come into chapter 2 the people of God are being encouraged now to continue with the work now what I want us to see then Two things that the Lord does to these people in order for them to regain their courage. Firstly, the Lord God clarifies their perception. I want you to look with me in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. He comes to them as He clarifies their perception. Look with me in chapter, one, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. The Bible attests and tells us that in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet and God is coming to them and he's speaking to them and you can see that the audience has not changed just as we saw in chapter 1 verses 1 to verses 2 the audience has not changed although the message in chapter 1 was more focused on the leaders in chapter 2 the message is more focused on the Leaders and the people. And listen to these three rhetorical questions that the Lord is bringing to these people. And he's asking them. And firstly, he says to them, who is left among you? In verses 3, who saw this house in its former glory? And how do you see it now? He's working on their perception because it is known that at this particular time, there were some of the people in this audience who saw the temple of Solomon. They saw this house. And they were able to know the history of this place. They knew the glory that was attached to this place. It was so sentimental to them. And I want you to go to the book of Ezra in a moment, Ezra chapter 3, and you will see with me how these people, as they are coming to this project, how they are actually responding. Go with me to Ezra chapter 3, because Ezra and Haggad, they are contemporaries of each other. Come to Ezra chapter 3, and you'll see this. Verses 2, the Bible records for us, Then arose Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, with his Pharaoh priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shatiel, the same man we find in the book of Haggai. And the kinsmen. they built the order of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. So here are the men and the women, they have come back from this exile and they have come and the purpose and the reason why God has brought them back is that they must rebuild the temple and they resume the project. Verse 6 of chapter 3 of Ezra, the Bible tells us that from the first day of the seventh month they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. Take note of that. But, listen to this, the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet late, so they gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and for food, drink, and the oil of the Sidonians and the tyrants, and they brought cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Job according to the great, to the ground to that they had from Silas, the king of Persia go then to chapter 3 now the response as they come then verses 10 and when the builders laid the foundation look at this when they laid the foundations that of the temple of the lord the priests and their vestments they came forward with trumpets and the levites and the sons of asaph the symbols they came to praise the lord according to the direction of king david of israel verses 12 says this. But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen their first house, they wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house Although many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of People sweeping for the people shouted with great shout and the sound was heard far away. That is what is happening there So they have come together and as they have come you can see there in verses 1 the Bible tells us that they come together when is it that they are coming together? They are rejoicing and they are commemorating. They are celebrating the Feast of the Booths as a boots. This was the time when they would come together. This is also known as Tishli. It was a month of celebration. So they would come together singing songs to God. This was in accordance to what God had told his people Israel in Leviticus 23, verses 33 to 34. So they could rejoice together for seven days. They could meet at this particular place. And it happens, not coincidence, but in providence. God made sure that he would speak to his people at a perfect time. How perfect was it? This was a time when they could remember what the Lord had done for them as their their forefathers were coming from Egypt. That's how this celebration gets back to you. This is something that was so remarkable. They could remember that the Lord rescued his people from captivity. They could remember how God killed innocent and innocent animal to make sure that these people are rescued from the captivity of Pharaoh. They could rejoice and they could meet for seven days, but I want you to see the irony of this. Whilst it was a time of celebration. Although it was a time of celebration, but it was a feat of discouragement, Because they could compare their former temple and they could look at the the temple and the foundation that was laid in the here and in the now. And you could imagine as to what was going in the minds of the old folk who saw the temple of Solomon. As they compare it to this new temple, So then they come on this month of uh, the Feast of the tabernacles, as they would celebrate. But yet, at this particular time, they are filled with grief. They are filled with discouragements. Because as you read the book of Ezra, you will see that after chapter 3, going to chapter 4, they face opposition. They have been rescued, yes. Not only are they remembering that the the God of the Bible rescued their forefathers. But they are also remembering that this God has rescued us from Babylon. It is a perfect time that they are rejoicing. It is a time of celebration that these men and women are rejoicing. And the Lord says His word to His people at this time of celebration. Yet they are being in this state of discouragement this dedication of the temple that you find in this book of uh, of Haggai is taking place but it took place years back you find in the book of first kings in chapter 8 in second chronicles as well in chapter 7 verses 8 to 10 that these people are coming in and they are seeing something that looks so small something that looks so insignificant and they are asking themselves how can it be that God's glory will be revealed in this mini work that we are doing? When they look at the makeup project that Solomon was involved in, and they compare it to the project that they were involved in, they compare the two, and they are thinking, no, it's a non standard. I don't think God is in this thing." So the question whether the Lord is with them, the struggle with that fact is really God with us, is really God for us, and the Lord then comes to his people, and he clarifies their perception, and he tells them to see, not only does he, does he correct their perception, but I want you to see then we move secondly, and this is where we're going to spend much of our time, God then commands them persevere that's what they need you see that from verses 4 to verses 9 he commands them to persevere he tells them not to look backwards as much as there were glorious things happening in the past but what God is expecting of them and this these rhetorical questions that the Lord is asking them. Who is left among you and who saw this temple and how does it look to you? The answer for the first question is there are some among us who saw the temple and its glory. In comparison to the glory from man perspective from the eyes of man when they looked at this table and the Lord then commands them to persevere he commands them to persevere and look three times God tells these three groups of people firstly to the leaders of himself and he says be strong to Joshua what does he say be strong to the people of the land the Lord declares to them be strong as you build as you do my work I want you to forget the past and I want you to be strong in simple words in literal Hebrew translation what God is doing he is saying be comforted be comforted all oh, the people be comforted all oh, Joshua be comforted all Jerusalem why? because he said I am with oh. Amen so God causes people to persevere and I want you to know these brothers and sisters this is something that these people needed because they are facing opposition from without not only are they facing opposition from without, but deep within because they are indulging themselves in this peace. It was easier and it's, it's, we can also look at this. And as they are doing this work of God and they are looking as to how insignificant it was, they were discouraged. And the Lord is calling them to be strong, to persevere, never to quit. He's calling them to say, no matter how impossible the odds may seem to be, no matter how tough the opponents are, no matter how dark the hour is to you, no matter how it is in your eyes, but be strong. And that is the call, God, for his people israel he is commanding them he is charging them never to quit they have started so well you can see in ezra chapter 3 they gave in their monies but yet later on they decided to keep their monies and concentrate on their houses it's not because they lacked goods they had goods but they lacked good works and the Lord had to steer their hearts. The Lord had to move in their hearts so that they would be involved. And he's telling them, just as you it well, God is saying, finish well. He's calling them, as Steve Lawson would say, he's calling them to a mind of a winner. He's calling them to a mind of a champion. Steve Lawson would say this in his book, in it to win it. A champion never never throws his towel. He would rather eat the towel than throw it. I love that. So, what God is telling his people is saying, No, I don't want you to throw the towel, it's too early for you to throw the towel. Actually, I want you to fight on. Yes, you've been discouraged. Yes, there are opposition from Samaria, they are coming, San and his friends are coming with their oppositions, but the Lord is commanding His people to be strong. You see, brothers and sisters, our Christian walk is the same, and these words that God is bringing to His people goes and must resound in our ears as we work for Christ. Discouragements. As you do the will of God. Trying to raise your sons and your daughters. In the ways of the Lord. discouragements come. As you labor in the work of the Lord. In your workplace. Remember the book of Ephesians says. Everything that we do. In all that we do. Whether we eat or we drink. We do it as unto the Lord.
1: Even in your workplace. As you work.
0: As you give your best. For your company, I want you to notice: discouragements come, but be strong. Listen to the words. These are the same words that David had to speak to his son Solomon. And you may consider this as a coincidence, but I consider it as a. Providential act of God. Look at it in Providence. The first temple, when it was being constructed, the first instructions or the first words that the man whom the Lord had assigned to build the first temple, listen to the words that David had to say to his son Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 9 to 10. Listen to these words. David says to Solomon, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. That's what he says in verses 9. For the Lord searches all hearts and he understands every plan and thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, He will cast you off for evil. In verse 10, that's the verse that his day. He says then, be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Then he commands him, be strong, do it. Then in verses 20, David goes on to say, he said to Solomon, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. And those are the words that the man, after God's own heart, gives to his son Solomon. Brothers and sisters, I want you to see here the commands to the construction of the first temple and the commands to the construction of this post-exilic temple remains the same. The men of God are commanded to be strong and courageous. God is calling for men who are trusting in Him, not in themselves. And look at that promise that David gives to his son Solomon. I am with you, the Lord says, He will never leave you nor forsake you. So, God commands His people to persevere. Brothers and sisters, this command and this charge to be strong and to be courageous, you also remember it when Joshua was about to enter into the promised land. God had to tell Joshua, after also Joshua had seen. The great and the glorious acts of God through Moses. Joshua was a young man who when Moses would go up on the mountain Joshua would go with Moses, Joshua would stick with Moses and there was Joshua as he is in the book of Joshua chapter 1 you remember very well God comes to Joshua and tells Joshua to say now my servant Moses is dead you are about to take over. And he said what says to Joshua in the 6th of chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. It is a command that goes without saying. That Christ himself expects of us as a New Testament church. As well. That we be strong and courageous. And we're going to see that that God is causing them is asking them to persevere he's asking them that no matter how much you are facing but i want you to stick closer and to do this work until i finish it so the question is how is this perseverance going to look like how and why must they persevere so then God in this text even as we are going to run through it reveals to us four ways that they must persevere because of the truth or because of the fact that God is with them firstly God tells them that they have to persevere and they must persevere by abiding in his presence look with me verses 4 and 5 God assures his people and he tells them to say I am with you yet now be strong be strong be strong Joshua, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, all you people. Why? For I am with you. And not only am I with you. Look with me, verses 5. My spirit remains in your midst. So he's assuring them of his presence. And it is required then of these brothers and sisters to abide and to rest in that promise that the Lord God is with them just as you find here as we see David speaking to his son Solomon that God makes this promise and David tells Solomon to say this God whom I serve If you seek him, you will find him. If you forsake him, then he will cast you away forever. But he will be with you. In church of Jesus Christ, we, as the New Testament church, as we look upon these promises, as we look upon this word that Christ has promised to us, just as God is saying to these people that I am with you, and he is saying, my spirit remains in your midst. I am dwelling in your midst. I have made my habitation among you. This side of the cross, that actually has been made clear for us. God's presence with us first begins with the coming in of Jesus Christ, isn't it? He comes. Becoming a man like us. He lives the perfect life that we could not live. We see in Matthew chapter 1, verses 21, that the Bible tells us that he shall be named Emmanuel, meaning God, with us. John 1, verses 1 also tells us, John 1, verses 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But in John 1, verses 14, we also hear this, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, it does not stop there. It does not stop with Christ. Yes, of his increase, we have seen him. He is a clear revelation of who God is. It's God with us, God among us. He came to die for us, He came to redeem us, He came to ransom us. He is with us. But for a child of God, for a believer, God is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Not only is he in our midst, not only is he dwelling among us, but if you have repented of your sins, trusted in Jesus Christ, and you are now a child and a daughter of the most high God, the Spirit of God dwells in you. You see, that's something to hold on to. It is that presence of the Holy Spirit then that enables us, empowers us and it is this presence of the Holy Spirit that we know Paul would tell us this in 2nd Peter chapter, 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verses 7. Do you remember what Paul says to Timothy? He says God has not given us a spirit of fear. He has given us a spirit of power, of love and of sound mind. So God is promising and is telling his people to say, I am with you and you ought to abide in my presence. And that's what is required of you and me as a New Testament Christian looking back to this side of the cross. Because we have tendencies to be discouraged, to walk by the flesh. But what God is saying in his word as he speaks to these people, I am with you. He said the same to Isaac and to Jacob in Genesis 26, verse 28. He said to Moses before he was going to deliver the people of Israel in Exodus, I am with you. God said to Joshua, to Jeremiah, when he was complaining to say, but I'm just a child, the Lord God told Jeremiah, don't say that you are just a child. I am with you. As Christ is about to ascend into heaven As he sends us for the great condition Remember what he says in Matthew 28 Go in there all the world Make disciples of all nations Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and what does he put Lo, I am with you So do not be discouraged, do not fear Abide in his presence, but secondly, not only should they abide in his presence, but also we see there they must trust his promises They must trust his promises and God is saying to them verse 6 to verse 7 there. He says to them and For thus says the Lord of hosts Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry lands, And I will shake all the nations So that the treasures of all nations shall come in. The Lord is asking His people to be courageous and He's commanding them, yes, to persevere, but He's also coming to them to say, I want you to persevere not only in abiding in my presence, but I want you to persevere in trusting in my promises. I will shake the heavens. God is making that promise. And brothers and sisters, to these people, as they hear this, they have been reading the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They have heard how God could descend from heaven to come on Mount Sinai. How God could shake the earth. They have heard about all those things. They know the history of the great and the mighty works of God, and they wonder whether this is a significant place can even much to that glorious place which God revealed himself. Yet even now, God says to these people, I will shake the heavens. And this is a promise that finds its fulfillment in the Messiah. This is something that is even way beyond their time. This is something that is not even attached to their history. It's not attached even to their lifespan. It's something that is going to happen. And God has said it in his plan that he is going to achieve this. Yet once more, he says, he is the Lord of hosts. That's the name that he uses there. That says the Lord of hosts, God of the animals. He says yet once more, meaning that this has happened before. Once more, and he's saying here that I will, once again, just as I did on Mount Sinai, once again I will shake the heavens and I will shake the earth. Shaking the heavens, shaking the earth describes the earthquake which was an evidence of the Lord's supernatural intervention in the time of Exodus. You can see as God reveals himself, as he comes and meets his people, he would command that they would not even touch the mountain. But brothers and sisters, this has nothing to do with these people. This actually has everything to do with God being faithful to his promises, that he will actually fulfill this at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has a super natural plan in mind and has a super saviour who is going to come and deliver his people not only from the captivity But he has a supernatural Savior and he has this man whom he has appointed who is both God and man Jesus Christ who will come the first time rescue man from the bondage of sin But he's coming back again And at his return, the Lord is saying in this particular passage, brothers and sisters, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Every eye will see him and every nation will tremble at his coming. Now, this is comforting for a people of God. Those who have been shaken themselves. Those who've been shaken in their boots, those who've been shaken in their minds, shaken in their opinions, shaken in their resort. Now, for them to hear that this Lord of hosts, God of the Amen, will one day come, stand on their behalf, shake the heavens, shake the earth, and everything that is in it, it is comforting for people. Do you maybe feel discouraged? Do you serve the Lord for quite some time? You swung the tower, or maybe you're about to throw the tower. Or oh, are you here this morning and you are that person? I want you to know this because this is comforting for God's people. But for those of you who are not part of God's people, this must be scary. Because on this particular day, when God return again in glory, when the shaking is going to happen, everything will shake, even the place where you are seeing as if it's a place of refuge, that place will shake and you will stand before a holy God. There will be nowhere for you to run to. There is going to be this shaking that God is speaking about. On that day, Jesus Christ, even as we hear Paul telling us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 11, on that day when he returns again in glory, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here you see that God then is pointing to his people. I will shake the heavens. So trust in my promises. I am in charge. Everything may seem to be shaking, but I'm the one who does the shaking. I am in control. That's what God is telling them. They need to have a high view of God in order for them to continue with this project of involving themselves to rebuild the house of God. They needed that encouragement. Understand that their trust must not be in their worth, their trust must not be in the producers that they produce in their mess fields. They must come and stand and trust in this God and trust and lean on his promises. He said the same to them for the three as they were about to go to this exile. God tells His people Israel to say, "I want you to know that I am with you. Though you walk through the fire, the fire will not burn you." And we see the fulfillment of that. When you go through the waters, the waters will not overflow you. Isaiah 43 contains that, and God's promises are sure, brothers and sisters. And as we come to this, what God is saying—this shaking of the heavens. The New Testament makes this clear to us. What does this shaking mean? Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews expounds that statement for us as he says this from verses 26 of chapter 12. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised saying, yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heavens. And the word yet once more. This is what the author of Hebrews who interpret that statement. These words, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken. As of things that are made. That those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, he says. The coming kingdom that is the kingdom of God. And he said, Let us have this grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. That must be our response. You and me are part and parcel of this kingdom that this king who is shaking everything and will shake all things that are temporal one day we who are his people belong to his kingdom but now this must be our response the of bible says we must come and serve him acceptably and with godly so trust in his promise And God says here, so I will bring the the treasures or the desires of nations. He says in verse 6 there, My spirit remains in you, fear not, yes, once more, uh, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will shake all the nations, verse 7 says, so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in quickly there. What God is saying to his people, the treasures of nations, they can be either impersonal, but also personal. In person in the sense that what God is saying is. He is going to provide. And He's going to give all the required materials and resources. For these people to rebuild this temple. Why am I saying that? Verses 8 necessitates that. The silver is mine and the God is mine. Declares the Lord of hosts. So he will give them the silver. He will give them the God. And they will be able to rebuild this temple. Because he is the possessor and the owner of all things. The desires of all nations, the treasures of all nations. Some have also said this can be personal. It implies and it signifies that it points to Christ himself. Christ is the, he is the desire of all nations. There's no one else. He is the only one who satisfies the object of the desires of all nations. Is Jesus Christ himself. And what God is saying that, that I will bring the desires of all nations. He is going to make sure that he shakes the heavens so that the desires of all nations will come in. But in his time, Christ will come. So these people have to persevere. Not because God is only doing this. But they must also trust in his provision. That's the third one. That he's going to provide for them. And quickly, you're going to see that. That he's going to make sure that their needs are met. And he's, he has done that before. As they were coming out of East Egypt, he made sure that Pharaoh would give them all the goods and the necessities that would enable them to go back to Israel. As they were coming back also from Babylon, you'll find that Silas made a decree that these people will be provided for But lastly brothers, these men really ought to persevere because they ought to rejoice in God's prophecies. Verses nine. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord so they ought to persevere not only by trusting in God's provision not only by abiding in God's presence not only by trusting in His promises but they must persevere by rejoicing in God's prophecy why? because God is promising and listen to what he says remember the first point they were comparing the glory of the temple of Solomon compared to the glory of this new house that they were in. And the Lord is telling them to say that the glory of this house shall be greater than the former. You may compare, you may analyze it, and in your assessment, maybe in your eyes it looks like nothing. But God says that it is in this That this glory, the glory of this house will actually be greater than the former. I will reveal my glory in this temple. And there has been and there are arguments around this. Does this mean that this was fulfilled in their time? And as I've alluded to my third point, I want you to know that this was way beyond these people's time what the Lord is promising here he's promising something that is way beyond their time but I want you to know this that it might not be beyond our time why am I saying that? because this will happen at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes again and he comes back to establish again his kingdom we see that things did not happen at their time the fulfillment must be future in the millennial that this peace that is being spoken of this glory that is being spoken of others who say that this glory was the, 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 the God incarnate when Christ came and brought among us as John was saying, John chapter 1 verses 14 to say we have seen him one who is who is the very image of God who is full of grace and truth and we, we also see this that that Did not and was not fully fulfilled when Christ first came. However, what we find in the scriptures, brothers and sisters, that the latter glory that God is speaking of here, the fulfillment of it, the glorious manifestation is in connection with the coming of Christ Jesus. When he comes again, when he comes to restore, he will give peace. There is going to be glory. Remember what John says. Now we see in part. But behold one man of love. The father has loved us. That we should be called. Sons of God. And so that's who we are. John will tell us. But we know that when we shall up, when he shall appear. We shall see him. As he is. In a glorified. So the glory of this house God is saying shall be greater than the former. Now I need to remind us when we speak about this house in conclusion when we speak about the temple in the New Testament we are not speaking about this place. we speak about our very This is the table of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we can spend a lot of time fixing our eyes on the here and on the now. As Paul would tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we can fix our eyes on what is seen. But Paul reminds us, what we see is temporary, but what we do not see is eternal. And As Paul speaks in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4, when he finishes with those words in chapter 4 verses 18, he goes to chapter 5 and he says these words in chapter 5. If you may turn there even as we close, brothers and sisters. In 2nd Corinthians, Paul writes these words and listen to what he says. In chapter 4, he says in verses 18, as we look not on what is seen, but on the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Then he goes in chapter 5 and he speaks of a heavenly house. For we know that if this tent, that is our earthly house, is destroyed, we have a building from God. Made with, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And he says, For if this tent, in this tent we groan, we are discouraged at times, longing to be put into our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, discouraged. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. He draws in us, he draws in this temple, in this body, and brothers and sisters, Paul says in verse 6, so we are always of good courage. Why? We know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord So whether we are home or we are away we make it our aim This body is temporal. There's an eternal glorious body The Lord has prepared for us Christian, we ought to to always, as Paul will say to us in chapter 4 of Second Corinthians, we must not lose hearts. Be courageous in this year. You are commanded to be courageous. You are commanded to abide in the presence of God. You are commanded to trust in His provision. In this year, have this resolve in your mind. Stick closer to God. Learn to trust in his provision, learn to rejoice in his word and in his prophecy. Is that something that characterizes you? Be involved in the work of the Lord because God has promised he is with us. We must go out there, win souls for the cause of the kingdom because God has promised he is with us. Let's trust in his provision, let's trust in his presence. Let's rejoice in His Word because this is the Word that saves souls and rescues men and women from the pangs of the pit of hell. Join a Bible study group. Be involved in the work of ministry this year, because the Lord is with us. So, bow ahead and we'll pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are patient with us. You walk with us. I pray, Father, this morning, if there is a brother, a sister, who has served you faithfully in the past, and they feel worn out, they feel discouraged, pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would encourage us, you will lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit, who dwells, abides, and works in us. This we ask not for our glory, but for the glory and honor of your name, and for the good of your church. May God's people say amen. amen. Thanks very for joining us and to sing our last song. Um, so just turn up.